for your welcome. It's really good to be with you again. And uh, Andrew has asked me to speak this morning about eldership. And uh, that's what I'm going to cover. Quite a serious, important topic in the life of a church. Uh, a lot has happened to me since I was last here. I've retired now from leading the Coin Church, which is now called the Welcome Church. So I retired last summer. Uh, and now I'm retired. That means I can kind of wake up and then go back to sleep uh, and do that several times in one day. It's brilliant. Uh, it also has improved my kind of prayer life. Now, not just praying, Lord, help me find a parking space. It's, Lord, help me remember where I parked the car. So I moved into a new season, a little bit more golf, more time with my wife, Pam. Uh, thank you for many of you. You've prayed for Pam over the years. She was diagnosed a few years ago with myeloma cancer, and uh, God and the, the medics have been her strength and help, and it, it's nice to have her with me, looking as wonderful as ever. That's on the script here. Love. Yeah. But it's really good to, to be with you. Uh, and it's really good to be with you in a new season of Andrew's leadership. I know I was involved when we set him in as leader here. But I'm sure, I hope you're being blessed and encouraged by Andrew. Uh, we do have a kind of a good sense of family and commission and new frontiers. And sometimes if things are difficult, then, you know, we work together, we support each other. But that's also an option for you as church members as well. If Andrew's upset you, then see me at the end. Form a queue. Uh, if you can form a queue. I know, form a queue. We can have a late lunch. doesn't matter. And we can sort it out. But uh, there's a good context, I think, of reality but, and authority, but also accountability within our churches. We're living in days when authority is too easily despised and spoken against. And I want to be careful I don't speak of society like an old man. Uh, I don't feel old, but I am 68. And sometimes it's too easy to tut. As you get older, your tutting gets better. Uh, you young people won't know really how to tut, uh, but some of you may. But definitely as you get older, tutting is something that improves. And what it means is you kind of look with dismay or disgust on society, upon youthful society. And it wasn't like that in my day. And you tut. I'm not a very loud tutter myself. But we had a lady in our church at the coin for many years, and as she got deaf and deaf and increasingly deaf, her tutting got louder and louder. So sometimes if a young lady or whatever came to contribute at the beginning of the meeting or during the meeting, and they had a, a skirt that was just around the knee, she would tut, uh, but it got louder. So I had to have a word with her and say, listen, you know, just pipe down a little bit. Uh, you may have your own standards, what's acceptable, what isn't, but in some ways. And uh, we have to be careful. I have to be careful, but there's no doubt that there's a greater challenge to authority these days than ever before. Now, part of that can be healthy. Part of it can be good that we don't just kind of sit back and take whatever comes our way that we question. And we found out that sometimes authority can be abused. People in authority abuse people. That happens. So we're not saying all authority is perfectly executed and well done. But we are saying this, let's not throw away proper authority. 
And these are days when it's too easy to pull down authority and despise it. And it's too easy also to exalt independence, isolation, autonomy, even rebellion. Now, when we look at church life, church government needs to be shaped by two things. To do things decently and in order in society, to deal with monies as a charitable organization, every church must assume the form of a legal organization. And that's what you have here. You have trustees who make sure that things are done well and properly. They have a responsibility within the life of the church to make sure the church is legally. Money is well handled and accounted for and so on. That uh, things like health and safety are looked into. And that's important too. But also as well as fitting in with what the government wants, we also need to be biblical. And we mustn't live in tradition nor reaction to previous experiences. Nor must we be shaped by our contemporary culture. God is a God of order. I think his order is different from ours. I think God is more enthusiastic than ever we imagine and enjoys our enthusiasm more than we imagine. I think he's more Italian than English. I think he's more expressive than he is, than we think he is. We English sometimes put a God of our own making, make him a little bit more formal and, and stately and so on. Uh, in Zephaniah it says God kind of dances over us in love. He rejoices. He spins around over us in love. And we mustn't be shaped by our own culture. In the Bible, New Testament church membership is well-rooted. It's implicit in Scripture. And it grows out of an organic model, the living body of Christ. And where we look at pictures of the body of Christ in the New Testament or the church, you see there's a sense of attachment, of working together, of relationship, but also accountability. If you look at the picture of a body, there is attachment. If you think of a building, there is attachment, for which we are very grateful at the moment. Otherwise, this would uh, capsize and fall in on us. And then family. There's a sense of membership. And, uh, you know, we know things can be tense within family life, but it's still we are placed within family. I personally believe that church membership is not optional. It's inherent in true Christian discipleship. And believers should be those who believe, are baptized, Baptized in the Holy Spirit and then added to a local church. Believers should be a redeemed, functioning part of the local church. A membership is something in which you relate and you play your part. I know sometimes people are ill and can be members, can't function as well. As you get older, you may not feel you can function as well, but there's still a part for you to play within the body. It's not just a legal status, not just that you signed up on a list or you joined one day. It's something that hopefully means something to you day by day and week by week. Actually, a local congregation doesn't fit governmentally into any standard human system. A local congregation is not a democracy, but neither is it an oligarchy run by a few people. It's not really a hierarchy, 
And it's not a meritocracy, which means the successful or the rich look after you or rule you. It's not an autocracy where you actually have one person who just leads and governs everything. Although, actually, when you look at the New Testament, its decision-making practices may have characteristics of all of these. And when you read through the New Testament, you see in Acts 6 that actually it was a congregation that decided on the deacons. It was the congregation that was involved in that. There was their contribution and participation. And then you see a bit later, a man who is a deacon, who also has an evangelistic gift, and he makes a move up to a Samaritan town, and he extends the kingdom so much that the apostles have to chase after him to find out what's happening in the town. So it wasn't a decision by a committee, but someone with their gift extended the ministry of the church and the gospel. So we have a congregation working together to select men who are going to serve. And then we have one individual who through his gifting and his calling actually stretches and enlarges the mission and the ministry of the church. And then we have an apostle, Peter, who's hungry and he has a vision and God speaks to him. So there's revelation through people as well. This was an apostolic figure, Peter, who didn't want anything to do with pagan things or any Gentiles. He didn't want anything to do with something that's unclean, yet God speaks to him. And things change with him. him. And then we know that Paul is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then later on in the book of Acts, we have a prophet who turns up in a local church and says, you need to take an offering in order that you might help those who are suffering uh, famine, your brothers and sisters in Judea. So you see there's so many different ways the church is led and directed and kind of extended in its ministry. Then you have Paul and Barnabas. They go and plant churches, and then not too much later, they return to establish elders within those churches. Then later on with the controversy about what to eat, what not to eat, or the issue of, of do you need to be circumcised to be a true Christian? Then there's a council that meet together. There are apostles and elders. They meet together and they, they look at the Word of God and they talk about it. And then there's a prayer meeting for prophets and teachers in Acts 13. And out of that actually comes, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas. Mission comes out of that meeting. And then there are times when Paul himself says, well, we were guided by the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this and not to do that. So when we talk about eldership, we're not in some way bringing the leadership of the church down into a relatively small group. We're not bringing down the impetus of the church to a relatively small group. We all have a part to play. We all can make a contribution to the leadership, the direction. I know as I led the Coin Church for many, many years, actually some of our ministries never came, emanated from eldership ideas. It was people within the church who had a gifting and a calling, and, and we were happy to support them, and their ministry was enlarged and really became part of our church ministry as well. So all can contribute to the vision and direction of a local church. 
But actually, not all are leaders. So we find, we need to find a biblical model of church government and decision-making. I want to bring just three Bible readings to you. Acts 20, Acts chapter 20. I think I have a PowerPoint that will come up and uh, we'll work our way through some of these to help you. Acts chapter 20, Paul is leaving Ephesus. He's gone to Miletus and he sends to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Acts 20 and then verse 28. And this is what he says to the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Then I wanted you to turn to 1 Timothy or... Listen to me as I read this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And then 1 Timothy 5, this is a very sober passage for elders. It says this in verse 17, 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Then one more passage. You don't mind reading the Bible, do you? This is where we get our authority from, so it's important that we look to Scripture. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The New Testament teaches a local church is led and overseen by elders. 
We're sometimes more familiar with priests and vicars and councils and so on. The New Testament picture is of eldership. That obviously comes from Israel's history, whether you were part of a tribe, whether you were part of a town or a city, there were elders, senior men who oversaw and or kind of looked after the people within that tribe or community. The New Testament apostolic model for church oversight is elders. And there's three words that are used. One is elder, that's clear in the Bible, presbyteros. And that really speaks about maturity. It doesn't necessarily mean you are old. It means you are mature. And let's be clear about it. No one who has ever pointed to eldership is perfect. Secondly, neither do they, do they know it all. There's still a lot more to learn for all of us. Even if we've been in eldership for decades, there's more for us to learn. So we're not looking for perfection within that, but there are, and we are accountable to biblical standards for eldership. Another word is overseer. That helps us to understand something of the function. We oversee something. Episcopos, we look at that. And then the word that we've seen that's used is pastoral word, this shepherd, this functioning word of caring for the flock being amongst the flock, leading them to good pasture, protecting them and guarding them. And in the New Testament, elders were appointed in each church. Paul and Barnabas would go and plant a church, and then they would return, and they would appoint elders. And sometimes that might have only been months. And some of these people have been saved from paganism. I know in the coin, I've brought people into eldership and shared them, and some of them have been saved for six years, seven years, and we still have the question, are they too young as a Christian? Well, that's a fair question, you know, because they might still be young as a Christian, but actually they were not immature. They had matured in those six years. You might have been a Christian for 30 years and yet not matured as much as they had in six years. So we don't judge it necessarily by the length. And Paul and Barnabas obviously were clear enough to go back into situations where people had just come out of paganism, and yet they were still happy to appoint. But that wasn't lighthearted. It wasn't a flimsy thing. There was accountability. There was the, some of the guidelines that were read in 1 Timothy 3 were applied in these situations. There were men who were appointed now, I know that Andrew's probably covered some of this with you, but we leave, we're all equal, but we have different responsibilities before God. As in marriage, where a man is responsible for headship, and as you see in the Trinity, where there is equality, but actually there is submission for the functioning of the purposes of God. The Son said, I do what the Father tells me to do. He's equally with God, but willing to submit. And in some ways, we need to understand that. In these days, we are not culture-bound, but actually, we want to be Bible-based in what we practice and believe. And these men were qualified by their example, by their character, by their reputation, by their hospitality, by their maturity in the truth of God's Word and their discipleship, and by their, also by their ability to manage their own home and family well. Paul says to these elders from Ephesus, keep watch over yourself. It's an important thing that actually, to be a healthy shepherd, you're a healthy sheep. 
You need to be a healthy sheep in the first place. Uh, one thing I had to learn and did learn for many, many years of leadership and still hopefully practice is to keep myself spiritually healthy. Jesus even prayed this prayer, Lord, for their sake, I sanctify myself. He kept himself in the love of God, in the perfect will of God for the sake of those he was leading and for the sake of others. Are you going to be perfect? No. But actually, we need to watch over our ourselves. A question is often raised, what about the gifting of elders? Well, actually the qualifications in the New Testament don't major on giftings. It says that actually they should be apt to teach, able to teach truth. And I believe for that it means that they know God's Word and are able to refute error or help people into truth. They may not be theologians as sometimes we know what that might mean. People who study the Word of God, no Greek or Hebrew. Or they may not be that, but actually they know God's Word. And they know the truth of God's Word. So they're able to teach the truth. I would say, obviously, there needs to be some competency within them for shepherding people, for directing, for, for managing. Because if they're going to manage their own home, they should be able to manage a community as well. And what, happened, uh, what happens is that we look to the Bible for our qualifications, and we use that as our guidance. We must be careful. We're not in any eldership trying to get a balanced gift mix, or we haven't got anyone evangelistic in the eldership. For me, that doesn't matter. Uh, what I look for, first of all, is that they're qualified according to the character and the integrity that is down there in 1 Timothy 3. That's the first thing. I'm not looking for a gift mix. In fact, we've done kind of, over the years, as an eldership, Myers-Briggs and so on, all these different tests. My wife is amazed how accurate it is about me. I'm a commanding dictator. Uh, no, well, I'm not exactly, but I won't tell you, but it's not far below that. Uh, and my wife said, how do these people know you so well? And I said, well, I was just honest answering the questions. That's what I was doing. That's the way I am, the way I, And we've done all sorts of Myers-Briggs and how we fit into teams. And there's a mix. It's by God's grace, not by our design, that we had a reasonable balance. But first of all, we don't, look, we don't also look for a politically correct group. We don't look for an eldership where we say, oh, we must have it diverse. If we've got some old people, we must have some young people. I mean, don't forget the ones in the middle. We actually, first of all, look to what the Bible says about qualifications and hold to that. Uh, that's very, very important. It seems in the New Testament is that the apostles or apostolic delegates should be part of the process Timothy was asked to do that. I've left you to sort some of these things out and sort elders out, elders out, and that's what he had to do. But actually, potential elders clearly need to be received and recognized by the church members. And when I've been helping local churches in eldership appointments, generally it's the local church elders who know people who are observing people and then make some recommendations. They were considering these people for eldership, and sometimes then they, they invite me in to be involved. So there's already been some observation, some consideration. 
Uh, hope men, there's a point where you actually approach the man. Uh, and if he's married, you also include the wife in this. Say, listen, we're considering you for eldership. What do you think? Because there's got to be both an internal faith for this and an external reception and recognition. Eldership should never be something that's imposed on you. As a church, you should in some way be able to say, I have a problem with that person, and then have some people understand, make some judgment on whether your problem is significant or not. When I get involved, I generally meet and interview a man if he's married with his wife as well. I look at the Bible passages with them, the ones I've just read to you, and I ask them if they're vulnerable in any of those areas. It's amazing. Actually, people with children who have grown up, they don't feel vulnerable at all about home life. But people with teenagers, they feel a little bit more vulnerable. Are they really under control or not? So we, we have to approach this with grace and understanding. But it's there to be examined. And I ask them about, is there any area of vulnerability? Are you hospitable? Do you feel in some way before God qualified? And then I ask them questions. How do they deal with pressure? Because pressure will come in eldership. How is your marriage in times of pressure and difficulty? Have you got time to serve the church? Because eldership is never a hobby. It's so important. You've got to be available. So it's not a hobby. You can't just stick it on the end of your life. It's an important role as you serve the people of God in a local church. Also, have they got faith for it? Are they agreed together? And I also ask them this question. Are they prepared for the discipline that 1 Timothy 5 talks about? That means this, that if they sin, and we all sin, but if they sin substantially, that means it undermines their credibility to continue in eldership, that we will tell the church what that sin is. Now, the rest of you are not under that accountability unless it already goes public, unless you or somebody else gossips about it. I've been in church leadership long enough to know there are lots of things that happen within a local church where righteously it is covered by love and grace, and people find the opportunity to be restored. That happens. Sometimes you don't have the opportunity. Sometimes it's out there. Sometimes someone knows what a husband has done or a wife has done or what this person has done or this person's in trouble with the police. Sometimes it's out there. But mostly where you can, you cover the sin with love in order to enable restoration. But if you are an elder and you sin in a substantial way, you'll be taken out of eldership and your sin will be told to the church. That's a greater accountability. And it says, actually, it's a warning that there is accountability. We are accountable in our lives. Thank God we live in His grace. But even within His grace, there's an accountability. There's the grace to do right. The grace to say no to sin. So that's sometimes the process. And then what happens? There's a commendation to the church. And we give an opportunity for feedback or response. And hopefully if things move ahead, then we appoint and lay hands on the man. So it is something where there's initiative taken by leaders, sometimes apostolic people involved, sometimes the elders, uh, but also it needs to be received 
by the church. Internal faith from those who were going to be appointed and those who were in leadership and external recognition from the local church. So let's look at the role and function of an elder very quickly. Well, the Bible says they are to direct, they're to rule well the affairs of the church. And they do that with accountability to God's Word. This is not done with their own rules made up. We can read God's Word. Let's make sure our elders are living and leading according to God's Word. They're also to take care of God's church. As a shepherd, uh, we're less in touch with what a shepherd does now than many, many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. But they were caring for their sheep. They did the best for their sheep. They were sacrificial for their sheep. It also says elders are to give an account to God for their oversight. Again, another level of accountability. And they're to be especially accountable to the church for their example. They're to keep watch over themselves as well as the flock. It says in 1 Peter 5, they're to serve willingly, not greedy, not for money, not for power, not lording it over the flock, but through being examples. It also says in the New Testament, they're to carry responsibility for the preaching and teaching that occurs. All elders should be able to teach, encouraging the believers to sound doctrine, able to refute error. But some elders will particularly be released to preaching and teaching. Not all the elders will be preaching and teaching regularly. They're able to do that, but some of them will be particularly given time and opportunity to do that and to prepare in that as well. Also, elders are there to respond to requests, to anoint the sick, to pray for the sick, to pray for you in your difficult situation or your challenging time. Elders need to be team players. In the New Testament, it's really talking about teams of elders, elderships. It's a plurality of elders that is explicit in the New Testament. They're also to be open to apostolic mission and input. And I think that's an important part of a local church. Uh, to also, as well as being missional within uh, your community, to be missional without. And you can do that through people who are on mission, as you've just heard of someone who's serving in another place, short term or long term, you can be involved in that mission. But it's also to be good working with a family of churches who are involved in mission. And also open to apostolic input. There's a funny mix, I believe, within eldership and a local church of autonomy, but also a healthy relationship with apostolic ministry. When I led the Coin Church for many, many years, a good-sized church, actually we were doing okay. But I still invited apostolic people in, and we would have meetings as elders with them. They would come and visit our church because I have a high value of apostolic ministry, even if it's simply just objective. Another leader coming in, but it was more than that often. These were gifted men who were good in church leadership and able to move us on. And now and again, they kicked us up the bum, excuse the phrase, but they said, listen, you're not doing this. What's happening about this? And I didn't like them at those moments. I, I didn't have a high value on apostolic input, but it was so helpful to us. Just that as a church, 
They would have people who could speak into us. And it was also healthy for the church membership to know that the eldership were accountable also elsewhere. That doesn't mean it always works out perfectly, but it's a good context in which to work. So we see that eldership is functional. It's not just a status. Uh, it's not for life. I think as elders, we need to be able to function. As you get older, you may be able to function left, less. Well, again, at the coin, I'm not saying you practice this. We used to have a kind of a tipping point at the age of 70. Now, people could retire from eldership before that, but we certainly asked the question at 70. Now, I'm not saying that is the date where you lose your marbles or you become disqualified. Please don't read into that what I'm not saying. But we just used to have that kind of tipping point. Do you understand where we'd ask the question? And it was quite good. I think the elders themselves found that helpful. So they could see, well, I feel I can carry on or I feel I've served. Let's bring others through at that time. There are some wrong reasons to appoint elders. Number one, that they are old. Not the best reason. That they are rich. That they are eloquent. That they are spiritually gifted. That they are influential. That they are awkward. So better have them on the eldership rather than not on the eldership. That they are loud. That they are your friend. Or there's no one else. Let's look to what the biblical qualifications are. I do believe God raises up people to play their part in church life. And I believe that for eldership as well. So elders lead with authority. They direct. They teach. Paul says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. You know, today is Pentecost Day. Do you know, we all need the Holy Spirit. But we also need the Holy Spirit to guide us in these significant appointments as well. We need that within our local church. We need to have a trust in the sovereignty of God. We need to believe the truth of God's Word and what God writes as qualifications. We need to realize that Jesus is building His church and draws people into appropriate leadership and ministry. We want the leading and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We want the benefits of good, healthy, gracious accountability. We do want the provision of good leadership at all levels within the local church. And through it all, we want the exercise of God's love and God's grace and also patience in bearing with one another and ministering with one another. I'm going to finish with some safeguards. Safeguards to avoid authoritarianism or being abused by those in authority. This is in church life. First of all, never submit to leaders who are not under authority themselves. There needs to be also an accountability from elders to the church, for their example, and what they're doing. They're not above just and challenging or questions being asked. They should be approachable, and they should be good examples. But your elders, as well as being accountable to you, should also have an accountability within the eldership. I was accountable in my leadership too, and still am, even though I'm retired from church leadership, to, to Guy Miller, 
and I share things with him. What's happening? It's a genuine thing. We're friends, but it's a, it's a genuine thing as well. And that's good for me. And I think it's a sign of maturity that actually you make yourself accountable. It's a sign of immaturity that you don't. So you want leaders who are accountable. Accountable to God's word. Accountable to one another. Accountable to apostolic input. Accountable to the people of God. You also want leaders who are not isolated. You want team. You want team. It's not that one person is not good. Andrew is a very gifted person, but he needs a team, and it's good, and God wants him to have a team of people. He's been well served by a team of elders, but as you grow and develop, you will need teams working everywhere. So what you don't want is just one person who's unaccountable doing it all themselves. The best thing is team. Another safeguard is this. You need to be living by God's Word, and you need to know God's Word. If you can read, you can know God's Word. And that means that you won't be led astray by false teaching. If Andrew teaches something, you say, I don't really find that in the Bible. You need to go to Andrew and say, listen, can you just explain that to me? That's really important. So we want leaders who are leading according to God's Word, but actually, a healthy church is where the people know God's Word for themselves. And they know whether they're being led into error, or the Bible is being abused or misused. The next thing is, be accessible. Talk to people. Talk to leaders. If your leaders are executive, if they're aloof, that is not good. They need to be approachable. They need to be someone you can go and talk. Not that you're fussy about everything. Andrew, please tell me what I should have for dinner. Should I have my beans or my peas before I have my... You know, we're not interested in that sort of detail. But the issue is this. Sometimes if there's an issue, talk. Talk. And actually, the leader should be accessible. And the last point is this about uh, eldership and any leadership... Spiritual authority is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. Spiritual authority means the kingdom of God comes. What I'm preaching you to more this, this morning is not churchianity. It's not religion. This is the kingdom of God. Even though it might seem a bit dry speaking about eldership, this is important for the kingdom of God and for the local church. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. How to bless your elders? Well, show respect and regard for them. Place yourself under their care and guidance. Obey them in line with God's Word. Don't go against God's Word or don't go against your conscience, but make sure your conscience is enlightened by God's Word. Hear God through them. Say, thank you, God, for these people that you've placed over me. I want to hear you when they preach, when they teach, when they give me input. You can hear God through so many different ways, but don't ignore your elders when they speak to you and give you direction. Also, give them room to disagree with you. I've had conversations with people where people have said, Malcolm, you're not listening to me. And I've said, I am listening to you. I'm just disagreeing with you. I'm allowed to disagree 
providing I do it in a polite way. They're not bound to agree with you on everything. But they should be leading you and helping you according to God's word and their love for you also. Pray for them. Love them. Leaders are a peculiar people. Eldership is a peculiar task. It is. Uh, you know, I'm not, we're not victims to it. We're not martyrs to it. But it's a peculiar pressure and responsibility. That's why we lay hands on them. Love them because they work hard amongst you. Be open with them. If there's serious matters, let them know sooner rather than later. Speech is better than silence. As I said before, beware fussiness. They're not the guru. You don't have to ask them everything about your life. Right? You know things for yourself and God's word. You can get on with it. Don't gossip and tell everyone else the problem and then think, oh, I must tell the elder. Make sure they know sooner rather than later if there's something they should know. Beware of communicating to them through their wives. My wife Pam was excellent at that. And she had to learn it over many years. Some people, and they, do it, they don't do it in a malicious way, they will tell Pam something hoping that she will tell me. And sometimes Pam was good enough to say, listen, you need to talk to Malcolm directly. So don't use the wives to get to the elder. Is that clear? Talk to your elders directly. If there's conflict, if there's difficulty blowing up, then bring the elders in sooner rather than later. And the last thing is this, trust them. Trust them. You know, you can't get on in life without trusting people or things. And you can't get on in a local church unless there's a good measure of trust. Are these elders perfect? No, they're not. Are they godly men? Yes, I hope they are. Can we trust them with overseeing our lives because they love us and love God and love His Word? Yes, they are. If you can't trust them, then do something to change that. Change in your heart. At worst, change your church. But I would say, try and work it out within the context that you are in. So, as I finish, this is not just structure. It's about spiritual authority. It's about the gospel of Jesus being shared abroad through a local church that is healthy, that is well-led, where people are nurtured and cared for, and actually spiritual authority is recognized and handled in grace and love. It's not just churchianity. I'm not just talking today about organization of a group of people through a few leaders. I'm not talking about maintaining traditions or preserving a status quo or any structure. I don't want to say anything this morning that just keeps everyone happy and comfortable. This is about the rule and the presence of Jesus Christ and his church through godly leadership. That's what I believe. And I believe as you honor God's word and honor godly leaders amongst you, then you will be blessed. And God wants to administer with grace and truth through those who are properly qualified to serve you as elders here in this church. Let's stand. Let's pray. I've got three things to pray.
so you'll know in case you're looking at your watch. First thing, Lord, I pray continued blessings on this church. Thank you, Lord, for the witness and the work of this church. Thank you, Lord, I have realized and I've been involved with this church for 23 years now, through good and bad and bad and bad and bad and good. Hallelujah. I thank God for this church. Thank God for people who have stood up and been faithful, not just loyal to leaders, but faithful to you and to the local church. I pray your richest blessing on this church. I pray, Lord, at all levels, not just eldership, we will find people willing on the day of battle, people who will serve, play their part. Second thing I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray for any of us who who struggle with authority. I just want to pray your healing, Lord. We sang some great songs earlier on about you healing us and restoring us. And, And Lord, it's true to say not all leadership we've encountered or even parenting we've encountered has been perfect and good and true. And sometimes, Lord, we can be hurt and damaged by that. But you are the healer. And Lord, we're not looking, first of all, for perfect leaders. We want a good heart within ourselves. And I pray, Lord, for any people here who have been damaged and hurt, who have maybe been very stoical and stuck through, but actually, Lord, have really struggled to trust leaders. And whether that be in church or anywhere else, I just pray they will receive your healing. They will seek it. My last prayer is this. I'm going to pray for the men here. You're not all going to be elders. But I feel I've got a word for you men. I feel God saying to quite a few of you, whatever age you are, who told you you were retired? Whatever age you are, I feel God is saying this, the men here, who told you you were retired? Because I didn't. That doesn't mean to say you have to stay in a function or be in leadership But I feel sometimes we as men can just step back and we put something on ourselves that's a limitation. And I believe God would say to some of you, I have not put any limitations to restrict you in what you can do and what you should be doing. I want you to be available. I want you to serve. And particularly for men, not because there's bad men here, there's great men here. But I just want you to be liberated and free, not hindered, not restricted, not chained up on the inside. God says there's no external restriction. It's something you've put on yourself. And for some of you men, I feel God would say this, come out of retirement. Come out of retirement and be what I want you to be. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for fellowship together. We pray your blessing on us as a community. Bless our witness, bless our love for one another, bless our families. Lord, bless the singles, the, the elderly, the young Lord. We pray as a community here, we will throb with the life of the Holy Spirit. And in the heart of that, there'll be good leadership. There will be a releasing, loving, caring, dynamic leadership. We ask for it in your name. Amen.